Howdy, howdy, and welcome to episode 83 of the Eyes Free Sports Podcast. My name is Greg Lindbergh. Here on this episode of Eyes Free Sports, our guest is a gentleman in the Washington, D.C. area who is a longtime adaptive athlete in numerous sports for the blind and visually impaired. And he also competed in a number of sports in his childhood with fully sighted teammates and in many mainstream sports as well. So let's hit the field now for episode 83. All right, so my guest here on this episode of the podcast is Kevin Brown, and Kevin is a highly accomplished, uh, highly experienced, multi-sport adaptive athlete. Kevin, welcome to Eyes Free Sports. Great. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate being on your show. Absolutely. Definitely excited about this just because I know you've been involved in so many different sports and have such a fascinating background. So really appreciate you taking the time here. Uh, so first off, Kevin, let's just kind of kick things off here with just your early years. Uh, talk to me about where you were born and kind of your, your formative years growing up. Yeah. Uh, I was born in El Centro, California, which is the middle of the desert. And my dad was in the military. And so I grew up uh, traveling, you know, in the military lifestyle early on with my my brother and my older brother by three years and my younger sister by two. And so we had a pretty, you know, good family unit. We grew up in the 70s. And uh, as, as we traveled around the country, you know, from a military perspective, my mom was in nursing. So, you know, a dual parent working family. And so, we grew up, you know, participating in a, in a lot of outside activities as kids. You know, this was all pre-electronics and video games and things of that nature. So our electronics were getting outside and, and uh, playing in the backyard, running around, playing tag. And so I, I was really fortunate to have a really cohesive family unit that was engaged in in each other. And so uh, from an activity perspective, you know, we couldn't wait to to do things outside. Uh, in the seventies, uh, you know, I, in the winter times, you know, I lived in Ohio near Wright Patterson air force base and, you know, it would get really cold and, you know, my dad would do creative things and shovel the backyard and hose it down in the winter time, create ice rinks and things like that. So, you know, early <laughs> on we'd get out there and, uh, you know, even if it was, you know, five degrees below zero, we were still out there, you know, before the school bus came by, uh, you know, running around in our boots or putting on a, a pair of skates to, to just, you know, have fun. And, and so we really, you know, I, my parents cultivated an environment that just had you participate in as many activities as you possibly could and, you know, just do life. And so that was just really kind of an exciting time to, you know, be a kid because I always felt like, you know, we had this environment where we were able to do as much as we wanted to do in terms of just being active, um, you know, camping, fishing, and, and you know, we all we did these activities with some families and friends, and it was just kind of a really cool way to grow up and, and learn about life and society. Um, so like I said, very cool to have a family unit that was so tight in everything that we did. Right. Right. That's awesome. And I'm always curious with military brats, did you, uh, find that challenging at all? That lifestyle, you know, picking up and moving every so often, you know, we, we kind of had a unique experience with our, our military uh, scenario. Uh, my dad is, a um, multiple engineers and, and multiple engineering degrees. And so, uh, you know, he, worked on a lot of interesting projects over time. But when we moved from finally from uh, Ohio to the DC area, 
uh, Northern Virginia. My dad worked over at the Pentagon. And while Mm. we were there, that's about the time they started, you know, really noticing some significant challenges with my vision. And the school district I lived in, which was Fairfax County in Northern Virginia, had a very good program to deal with folks who had, you know, special needs or um, as it relates to, for me, low vision. So uh, I was always mainstreamed. But when we lived in D.C., uh, the the D.C. area, we were able to kind of continue to stay located here. Uh, And so we didn't have to move that much in later years because my dad was able to communicate that the advantages that were provided by the the county and the school system to facilitate me continuing to be mainstreamed as well as my sister. And, and so that was one of the ways in terms of, you know, we didn't have that typical military travel experience like others after about the age of eight for myself. And kind of how we found out about my vision loss was why we were here my sister started exhibiting signs that she started to have some challenges with vision. And, you know, by that point in time, you know, 70 years old, I was already legally blind, but no one, you know, we didn't know anything of what was causing anything along the lines of, you know, what the the, the condition was. I just had uh, some Coke bottle glasses and, and that seemed to, to suffice other than the fact that I couldn't read the chalkboard. Um, but I was such an athletic kid and wanted to keep up with my older brother, uh, and do everything that he did that I was somebody who would practice and participate, uh, you know, long, long after he stopped practicing, I would be out there to be able to compete with kids three years older than me because I didn't want to miss out. I wanted to be just like him. He was a pretty good role model, at least at that age. <laughs> sure. Right. Right. And it's all relative, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so then, um, so kind of on a, on the vision perspective, so, you know, the, the school system that I went to here in Fairfax County, they had a tremendous low vision program. They actually called it the love program. And the that program, um, you know, I had a, a, a counselor or specialist that really believed that, you know, if we can accommodate the resources in the mainstream school system, let's do that. Let's, you know, continue to work with his peers and friends and not, let's not take him out of that environment and put him in for a school for the deaf and the blind. So I didn't even realize that wasn't, you know, a consideration. And, and so for me, I just grew up just being the kid who saw a little bit less than, than everybody else. Um, and that, you know, the, the younger age of, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, you know, that difference wasn't as profound in terms of what it, you know, what it meant in terms of, you know, no one was driving at that time at that age. So, um, Sure. I was pretty, you know, fortunate from that perspective, but from a vision perspective, you know, I, I do have a degenerative eye condition that was originally diagnosed as Stargardt's and then much later in life, uh, was it determined to be cone rod dystrophy? Oh, I see. And I know you mentioned your sister, uh, is visually impaired as well. Correct. Yeah. She's got the same condition, cone rod dystrophy. Uh, her vision hasn't progressed nearly as fast. Uh, it had early signs. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's, been hovering around that, you know, 2,400 to 2,600 level uh, for those folks who are familiar with that. Gotcha. And I'm curious, any other relatives, anyone, you know, historically in your family? Yeah, no one in the family has any um, vision issues uh, anywhere up and down the line Mm. uh, in either direction. So it's just a unique uh, unicorn in our our family. Right, right. Just shows you never know. So as far as a little more on education, uh, so I know you mentioned you were mainstreamed K through 12. Yeah. 
And then you did go to the University of Virginia, yeah. correct? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was someone who was, like I said, highly competitive in, in every aspect of life. And so education-wise, my parents were strong supporters of education, education, education. And so they would encourage that, you know, aspect of, of their kids' lives as a priority. So um, they were always involved in our school projects, helping out with the school and the community. And so education was something that was bred into my mindset as this is the, the key aspect of what I need to be doing in, in, in life, uh, because it's, it's a stepping stone for everything that I hope to do in the future. So once again, great parental support structure to, to help, you know, lead me in that positive directions. And so in high school, I, you know, I was heavily engaged in sports and that, and, and uh, as well as uh, academics did well in classes, you know, performed well in various tests and things of that nature. And, and so when the opportunity to come go to the university of Virginia, the, one of the primary drivers of me attending that school was um, not uh, anything other than the educational opportunity. Uh, I had opportunities to play sports in other colleges and things like that. I got a couple offers to participate in different sports, but the primary interest for me was this, this lady at the learning needs and evaluation center at university of Virginia. And I remember visiting the school in early as I'm making my determination, which, which college I wanted to go there. And she sat me down and said, you know, Kevin, whatever you need, I'm going to make sure is there for you. 100% of the time. And she worked in this little old building at UVA called Brooks Hall at the time, which I'm sure is not anywhere close to ADA compliant. Um, it looked like it had to be a hobbit to work in there. It was um, the, the ceilings, the rooms were like five foot six door entryways. Uh, so it was a really interesting building. Um, but that location, you know, she told me, we will make everything available to you. All your books will be uh, read for you. And so, you know, my recording devices were tapes for our readers. Those are, you know, <laughs> those are electronic means of, uh, of recording devices. So, um, right. I'm old enough now that, uh, so, but, uh, so my classroom environment, so she guaranteed that, Hey, if you come here, I will make sure that this is the most successful environment for learning that you will be able to accomplish and, and your goals. And so that's, you know, I walked out of there going, this is where I want to go. I, I knew it was that one um, lady who gave me so much confidence in terms of, you know, as you step into a new environment, like, you know, how am I going to be successful? How am I going to manage, you know, being visually impaired in a, in a college community? And, and, you know, there's a lot of changes and things of that nature at this time. I, I was, you know, obviously nervous and she just took all that away and built that confidence. And so that support structure is why I went there. And then, that was a fabulous support structure while I was there. I just knew I had, you know, a team on my back to help me sure, ensure that I would be successful navigating the college experience. Wow. That's amazing. You know, just one, one person, how much influence they can have. And obviously a lot of people don't, don't have that individual that steps up and says, you know, Hey, I'm going to advocate for you. I'm going to do whatever it takes. So very interesting. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was a very powerful experience. And then, you know, to have a conversation in an hour and walk away going, you know what, this is where I want to be. And then knowing that we're entrusted to that environment for the next four years. Right. Right. Absolutely. And uh, so a little more on sports. Uh, so I know growing up, you know, kind of before college, you did uh, multiple sports, right? Yeah, I played uh, my biggest love was soccer. Uh, you know, I played it morning, uh, evening, night. It was 
you know, that game of love for me. Uh, and sure. I, I played a little bit of baseball, uh, you know, for a year or two in uh, Ohio, was little league, things of that nature. Uh, had a little bit more challenge, obviously, picking up the baseball, but still like to play in the yard, things of that nature. We played all kinds of neighborhood games growing up and from, you know, stickball to, you know, broom hockey to kick the can to, you know, anything outside. And, you know, we were out there from, you know, morning till night all, all summer long. And so we picked up every possible sport you could imagine. Uh, you know, I played competitively in, in basketball, travel basketball and travel soccer and did some track and field running and things of that nature. And, you know, in the high school years and things like that, but everything was, I, I used the winter sports to keep me in shape for, for soccer, uh, you know, love playing basketball. Uh, loved running and jumping. Uh, you know, did a little bit. You know, did a lot of the different field events, uh, including pole vault, uh, which had its own unique experiences as a visually impaired person <laughs> trying to find that box to to drop the pole. But uh, you know, I did uh, right. everything you can imagine from a, a sporting perspective. But uh, one sport I wasn't. You know, my parents weren't uh, excited about me participating in was football. My mom, the the nursing business and at the hospital saw a lot of, you know, concussions and injuries and things of that nature. And so she wasn't keen on that. Uh, plus my dad had played football and, and, you know, so the thought was, you know, maybe we, we don't want to head down that path. Although sure. lo and behold, they didn't know every Friday we were playing football without pads on and a much less safe environment. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they found out about that in, in a similar podcast. <laughs> what did you do? Right. <laughs> Interesting. Yo, and from what I understand, uh, your, your teammates, your coaches, you know, growing up were pretty supportive of you in spite of your, your vision impairment. Right. Yeah. I was, I was really fortunate to have coaches that built that trust and partnership. Um, and which I think is, is, is critical for any successful team environment. You know, I was blessed with really good coaches and I had one or two that, you know, made me realize that if I'm ever involved in that process, I, I don't want to be anything like him or her. So, uh, you know, once again, I had those folks that were able to motivate, inspire me to push forward. Um, but once again, I had that, um, you know, drive that was provided for my parents to just not be afraid to fail, be afraid not to try. And so I would, you know, once again, trying to keep up with my older brother, I would practice beyond that of a the, called a normal person, uh, maybe a little bit of, uh, um, OCD as it related to, uh, practice. Right. Right. Definitely a gym rat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so just, yeah, kind of fast forwarding then to, to college. So I know you had had the opportunity to actually walk on, uh, the, the Virginia football team, right? Yeah. I, uh, you know, <laughs> once again, I figured now I'm in college. I, you know, at that point in time, I, uh, you know, was emancipated from my parents, uh, a business decision, if you will. Uh, um, and so I was like, you know what, I'm going to play football. And so it was one of my bucket lists that I wanted to, to scratch. And, you know, it was my sophomore year. Um, I decided that, you know, I was going to you know try and be a kicker. You know, I, I, once again, I had pretty strong leg from playing soccer all those years. And, and so I decided I want to go and walk on and try and be a kicker for UVA. And so, uh, you know, went through the process and the, the spring semester um, was successful, uh, found an opportunity to be on the team, but to realize that those guys are, are getting bigger, faster, stronger. Um, and so it was a, a mutual understanding to realize that, you know, maybe this isn't the right time for me to be playing the game, but uh, I did scratch the itch and demonstrated that I could make the team and, and 
you know, it was just a, you know, a great opportunity to, to demonstrate to myself that, you know, if you put your mind to it, you can achieve uh, anything. And, and that was one of the things that, uh, you know, I thought it would be really cool to be able to say, hey, I played a little bit of football in college. Oh, yeah. Especially at the Division One level. I mean, to be able to, you know, just anyone with a disability to get the chance to compete in Division One athletics, I just find fascinating. So, hey, congrats. Congrats on that. <laughs> I, 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 I never got to play in a game like that, that young man. Uh, I think it's... Uh, um, out of USC. Uh, so I never played in a game other than some practice and things of that nature, but uh, felt pretty damn good. Right. Oh, yeah. Yep. And yeah, definitely shout out to Jake Olson, if uh, you might be listening, uh, who, who did play, like you mentioned, at USC a few years ago as a long snapper. And uh, just again, really, really fascinating story. Yeah, that would have been a great pairing. He could have been the long snapper and I could have been the kicker. It would have worked out well. <laughs> just need to find a place holder in the middle. That's right. Oh, yeah. Have all three. That's yep. Yep. <laughs> um, so then as far as adaptive sports, so I believe, was it the USABA, the United States Association of Blind Athletes? You're kind of kind of your first foray yeah, I mean, into adaptive sports. Yeah, so for me, adaptive sports, once again, I grew up in, in mainstream, so I didn't know any blind or visually impaired people my entire life. And so my introduction to USABA was, I think, probably just through researching assistive technology tools and things of that nature and came across USABA at some point in time. Um, but that wasn't until the you know really late 90s. And so, you know, my introduction to blind sports was, you know, very late in the game. Um, and so, you know, I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, you know, I remember looking at the site and saying, you know, they had, you know, at the time, you know, track and field predominantly. And, and you know, uh, I just learned a little bit about the Paralympics because that wasn't something I ever, ever really focused on. You know, when I competed, my goal was to be in the Olympics. Um, you know, my track, sure. yeah, my track and field days and things of that nature. I mean, you know, I was much faster <laughs> when I was in my early 20s than in my later 20s when I learned about adaptive sports. And, you know, my goal was to make it in at the Olympic level for, for things like track or soccer, things that, that was my, my goals and interest in my level of um, athleticism was, you know, not too far from that level. So when adaptive sports came into the picture, uh, you know, called 1999 ish, you know, that's really my first introduction. And so I found that there's some local events, uh, the Northeast games, you know, it's part of the Pennsylvania Association of blind athletes and some of the other, um, blind adaptive sports programs in the area. Uh, I started to get involved with, uh, and kind of in a twofold approach one, Hey, this is, you know, get engaged in the community, learn more about some of the, uh, the community as well as the assistive technology world. Um, obviously I'm, I'm trending with a, a downward spiral with my, my vision level. So, you know, how, how do people manage, you know, these, their, their, their own challenges and what tools do they use to maximize their efficiency or success in life? And so, you know, building that, uh, community of support. And so when I was there, I was interested in, you know, competing, um, but more so, in terms of a, maybe I can help give back by coaching and, and sharing my love and passion of the games, uh, whether it's, you know, track and field or soccer, um, although there wasn't blind soccer yet. Um, but right. we, we started to, to work on those other different activities and things like that. And, you know, I, you know, goal ball wasn't for me, but uh, it, it, <laughs> I met a, a bunch of people that, uh, you know, like-minded who want to stay competitive in life and engaged. And, and so that's where, uh, 
you know, my introduction was in the the late nineties. And then I started, uh, you know, becoming more engaged in that process. And, uh, uh, from a track and field perspective, you know, they had, uh, you know, track meets for the Northeast games. And, you know, I, I remember going out pretty much cold and, and, uh, grabbing a lot of hard hardware. And then I realized like, this isn't fair. <laughs> so, uh, once again, I was used to competing against the, you know, at the highest level. And, you know, for a lot of the folks with adaptive sports, you know, they, they may not have had some of that same level of uh, coaching levels at that point in time. So thankfully that, that process has changed a lot and you got a lot of great uh, track and field athletes out there um, as well as other uh, adaptive sports athletes. So, that was my introduction and it just opened a whole new world for me. Um, and that also kind of aligned with when I, you know, my, my vision has, has this, um, process where I go through periods of plateaus and then steep declines, which is atypical of the disease, but that was my norm. So, you know, every, you know, five to 10 years, I, you know, I'd go from, you know, one level of vision and, you know, overnight over the course of, you know, uh, a week or two or three, that there'd be this significant change and I'd have to kind of readapt. So I think that's kind of how I got introduced to the, the blind sports world or adaptive sports world. And, you know, I haven't looked back since. So call that, you know, 1999 to 20, it's been a good 20, uh, you know, quarter century that I've been involved in adaptive sports. Oh yeah. That's, that's awesome. And I, I, I can definitely relate to you in some cases, just, you know, kind of being introduced to the whole blindness community, mid to late twenties and, you know, adaptive sports as well. And I'm curious, do you kind of look back and maybe wish you would have gotten more involved, you know, as say a teenager or any earlier than you did? Well, you know, certainly would have liked to have known about it earlier. Um, I, I think I would have had a, a better chance for success in some of my track and field, at, uh, um, activities back in the day when I was a little bit younger and faster. But the reality is for me, I was fortunate enough to be introduced to adaptive sports in a different way um, through soccer. You have things like top soccer, which are programs designed to, to, you know, soccer is for every in concept. So they work with folks in the community um, that may have special needs and this, this, that, and the other. So I had worked with the special Olympic program for soccer back when I was uh, in high school. And that was one of the mm-hmm. most rewarding activities I've ever participated in. I, I, I work with a bunch of, um, you know, folks with with special needs and every time i left practice i left more fulfilled than than i started and i felt like as much as i might have been helping them in the process or in the game they taught me more about you know appreciating life and so i it was one of those things that compelled me to be like you know this is something that is a passion for me is is giving back and when you're giving back you actually get more. And so that was something I, I learned very early on. And um, so as I became more involved in that adaptive sport process, it it wasn't just because it was adaptive sports. It was the, the opportunity to give back that was, you know, so rewarding. So when I started once again doing the um, assisting with the Northeast Games and some of the, you know, the players and athletes, uh, you know, working with them and developing their, their skills and, and and sharing those conversations and we both gained in that process. Sure. Sure. Interesting perspective. So kind of fast forwarding a little bit here. Uh, so let's talk some blind hockey. Um, so as you definitely know, and maybe others out there, you know, blind hockey has been around in Canada for a good 50 years now, but still relatively new here in the U S probably in the last decade or so. 
And I'm really curious how you kind of found out about blind hockey and got involved. Well, this is one of those um, periods where I was dealing with those, um, you know, plateaus followed by steep declines in vision. And so it was roughly six years ago that uh, my vision was deteriorating uh, again. And so at that point in time, I was, you know, going from a B2 athlete from a vision perspective, a classification perspective to a B1 classification, which is light perception and or total blindness. And so while I was going through that transition, um, there happened to be something on the USABA, you know, website that said there was a blind hockey tried event in the Washington, D.C. area, ironically, four miles from my house. And mm. It's the only one in the country <laughs> at the time. And so how do you not go? And yeah. my wife's very supportive and very encouraging. And here I am, you know, trying to figure out how am I going to manage this change in my life to where the level of vision has deteriorated? How am I going to be successful? So I had you know, all those grief related concerns and, and uh, trying to make sure like, how am I going to manage this next phase with my family and, know relationships and activities and sports and coaching and they're like kevin it's right here you have to go so um i went and i was nervous and normally i don't get nervous and, and new you know in athletic situations but you know i was i was pretty like intimidated because it, it wasn't something you know i grew up playing obviously i talked about ice skating a little bit as a kid early on but that's where it stopped and you know we didn't have ice rink skating rinks in, in our backyards in, in, in the dc area we didn't get the snow so um sure so once again knew how to skate a little bit but not hockey skating um and so the that first tried event i was just so positively surrounded by people like you know, this is a great sport. You're going to have fun. Don't worry. We've got your back. And so I was out there and uh, one of the, the volunteers stopped me like, are you okay? And I, I had just tears streaming down my face because I was just so excited that there was another opportunity. I'm like, now these are tears of joy. I'm just excited to be able to, you know, uh, you know, one door closes, another door opens. And that's kind of what that mindset was. And I said, you know, okay, Kevin, you know, you're skating pretty well. You seem to be able to, you know, know what you're doing with the puck a little bit. If you like, you know, come back tomorrow and you can, you know, get you geared up and you can join us for practice. And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay. So that next morning I got there and they're like, Hey, here's all your gear. So uh, they worked with leveling the playing field of a nonprofit uh, that, you know, provides uh, sporting equipment. And so they literally geared me out with all this huge sports equipment and, you know, put a pair of skates on me. And uh, Matt Morrow, who was the head of uh, international blind hockey, uh, I guess at the time said, you know, Kevin, you know, do you trust me? I go, I trust you. He's like, I'm going to tell you to go and I'll tell you when to stop. I'm like, you'll tell me when to stop. I'm like, yeah. So I go like a bat out of hell skating as fast as I can. And he screams, stop, stop. And I stopped, you know, hockey stopped about two, three feet from the board. And he's like, oh, thank God. Uh, he's like, you got a lot of trust. I'm like, well, you told me, you told me. So, uh, yeah. so I felt pretty safe. Probably wasn't in that particular situation. And uh, so I remember um, going, you know, this is, this seems like it could be something fun for me. And I had no aspirations um, of just other than, you know, you know, there wasn't a blind U.S. national team at that point in time. It was just, hey, this is an opportunity for me to go out, learn a new skill, meet some new friends, build a, you know, a new network. And so, I, you know, it, and it was four miles down the road. 
and I had a community of right. partners and, and friends that as they knew that my vision had changed drastically, you know, that they were, they said, you know what, they all came together and said, you know what, let's take turns taking Kevin to practices. Um, so can I maybe ease some of that burden on, you know, my wife and, and others at the time and because they wanted to participate. So I had friends that would get up and we could have practices at, you know, five thirty, six o'clock in the morning or 1130 at night. Uh, whenever you could get ice. And uh, so they would take me. So that initial first, you know, four months of hockey was just excitement. And, um, and it just, you know, it kept building on that excitement and, and building these new relationships. And so that's where hockey came into my life at a perfect time as, you know, I was dealing with the, this change and, and it kind of, force that mindset, you know, don't be afraid to fail, be afraid not to try. And um, so that's where, you know, it just compelled me to push harder, work harder, that, that, that long OCD process of practice, practice, practice uh, became into my, um, my hockey world. And then, you know, I, once again, I had zero aspirations of playing, you know, hockey at the next level, um, you know, at the, uh, the, as the first U S blind hockey team was being developed, you know, they had a tryout and I had zero, zero expectations, um, to be able to participate at that level because there's, you know, there's no, um, you know, you have B threes is your, um, the classification levels was your 2200 to 2600 level of vision. Your B twos is 2600 to light perception and your B ones are typically designated to be goalie. And I said, I don't, I don't want to be goalie. I, I want to play on the ice. Uh, and so to be able to play hockey as a B1 skater, that, that typically doesn't you know, end well in terms of playing at the highest level or that elite competition because you're, you're going against folks, once again, who have much better vision than you do. But I got invited to the, the camp or the, the tryouts. Uh, apparently, I did better than than I thought. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then there was a gala later, you know, that week, uh, you know, to name the first team. And I'll be honest, you know, I was, I don't think I've even told the coach this. I was sitting in the uh, hotel with a, uh, you know, buddy and his kids and, you know, they were hanging out and they were, you know, go to the pool and stuff like, Kevin, are you going to go to the, the event tonight? I'm like, you know, I don't think so. I might just sit here and, you know, you know, Oh, uh, a buddy, you know, we cracked a can or two and said, we, you know, like, you sure you want to go? I'm like, maybe I, maybe I should go. Um, you know, I, once, <laughs> so zero expectations of, you know, uh, uh, you know, they, at that point they were going to name the first team and things of that nature. I am not expecting my name to be called. Uh, so as they're doing it in alphabetical mm -hmm. order, um, I don't remember Daniel Belly being called. Uh, and then I'm not even paying attention, to be honest with you. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll do my little golf clap. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> and then they said Kevin Brown. I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's another guy with the same name as me here. <laughs> it didn't really dawn on me uh, because my expectations were not to be uh, um, literally in that atmosphere. So, you know, was I completely humbled and excited? Yeah. I, I remember calling uh, my, my, my wife and kids up going, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> uh, so uh, it was really one of those moments in life that I'm like, well, that wasn't peculiar. <laughs> so, but just so awe-inspired to be considered to, to, to be on the team and represent the colors in, in that capacity was a certainly just, um, you know, tremendously exciting. And then I, I've relished the opportunity ever since to, to be part of this community and playing with these, these young 
wonderful men and women who uh, uh, are remarkable players, certainly much better hockey players than I, uh, but they pull up everyone around you. you got a great coaching staff and, and once again, the volunteer uh, to, to help drive the game. Uh, it, it has been phenomenal for me and my family. Uh, so it's, it's, it really just creates this joy uh, and, you know, so that's been my experience with the blind hockey, you know, program. And, and I know you had Tim Kane on, on the, uh, the show uh, earlier and, you know, I've met, you know, tremendous people like Tim and who become, you know, best friends of mine. And, and we shared so much beyond a game. Uh, we, 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 it's the game of life that we engage in. So it's that, that's where I feel super excited that, that this sport has given me, you know, so much. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. And I am curious, uh, any specific moments, uh, goals, maybe you've scored just different, different things, you know, on the ice that you want to mention. Um, you know, you know, that first time that we played Canada and you're hearing the national anthem was pretty awe inspiring. Um, I, like I said earlier, I'm, I was always interested in the Olympics and, and then later the Paralympics. And, and so to be on the ice, listening to your colors, um, or wearing your colors and listening to that anthem was a pretty powerful moment for me. You know, I'm someone who's been fortunate enough to carry the Olympic torch. So the concept of the Olympics Mm -hmm. and and that national pride runs really strong through my veins. And so to be there on that, you know, starting lineup, that first game was pretty impressive. you know, I have scored a couple of goals. That's also, you know, um, a rare occurrence and had to be one level at the, uh, but never in international competition. So I'd say that's a, that's, that's kind of fun and neat, but, uh, I, I'm more on the defensive side. I, I like getting hit with the puck. That means I've done my job. So those, every time I get hit, there's a, a subtle reminder on my body with a different bruise that, uh, brings me a level of pride that I've done my job. And, and so every time I get another Nick, that uh, it feels pretty damn good. Right, right. Absolutely. And I know you have been involved with the, the Washington Blind Hockey Club as well, right? Yeah, I'm fortunate. Uh, you know, uh, Craig Fitzpatrick, uh, who a uh, um, disabled vet, uh, started the program, you know, probably seven or eight years ago. And I think in 2016. And, you know, he built a, a strong foundation uh, with a, a bunch of volunteers that helped build, build the program, create opportunities for folks like myself to get engaged. And, you know, as he stepped down to do other aspects of his own life, you know, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to be the president of the Washington Line Hockey Club and create this opportunity for others to come out and, and try the same sport that has given me so much. Right. Right. Very cool. And I know just in general, a lot of, uh, Blind hockey clubs have popped up, you know, just in the last handful of years and certainly seems like a very much a growing sport. And I know there's, there are a lot of goals out there to, you know, actually have, you know, teams competing against each other around the country and uh, certainly the Paralympic uh, aspirations as well. Yeah. Hopefully we'll get there sooner than later. I think there's 20 teams now in the, in the United States alone. And so, uh, and it's great because there's no other adaptive sport that's that, that you compete at that pace uh and that includes right. all different visual classifications competing simultaneously together that's what's really unique with their given vision limitations so you know goalball everybody's blindfolded blind hockey 
ironically, the only one who's blindfolded is the goalie. Um, but we all come to the uh, <laughs> we all come to the ice with whatever you know vision we have or don't have, and, and get to compete. So that's really kind of a unique thing about the the blind hockey environment. Um, uh, and so what becomes really important in that sport, just, just like any sport, is the importance of communication um, with your teammates and things of that nature. So once again, another cool aspect of, of sport is how much it helps you in life with communications and teamwork, uh, leadership, things of that nature. So hockey brings that to everybody. And, and once again, you're working with folks that could be five years old to, to you know, 75 years old that are competing out there and with a, that variance of, experience, age, ability, vision classification. So it really is a, a, a unique sport. No doubt. I know there's, there's that hashtag and kind of that saying hockey is for everyone and it's, it is so true. Uh, so moving on to blind soccer. So I know you had mentioned, uh, you know, several years ago, kind of your, your vision, your idea, you know, to get blind soccer off the ground more officially in this country. And in the last couple of years now, there has been quite an effort by USABA to do so. And uh, so I know last year in 2022, they did actually name the first ever uh, blind soccer team, U.S. you know national blind soccer team. And uh, so in addition to hockey, you're also on the you know the national blind soccer team. And just talk to me about what that meant to you and kind of how you found out about that uh, that opportunity. Yeah, uh, you know, blind soccer as blind soccer is one of the fastest growing sports in the world for visually impaired. I think it's you know competed by close to seventy countries around the world, and it's been a part of the Paralympic Games since two thousand four. I think Brazil is the only team that's won. Uh, I think every Paralympic uh, uh, gold medal since. But at the time, you know, I first learned about blind soccer. It was probably 2000, 2001, and we were uh, in the United States with USABA. I remember talking to the former executive director and said, you know, you know, what do you know about blind soccer? Can we bring it to the United States? And, and once again, there, there wasn't a whole lot of information on the program. I think it was all in Portuguese at the time. So, but, uh, <laughs> so there were not, not a lot. And it was on like VHS tapes to give another uh, idea of how old I am. Um, so <laughs> we, uh, you know, looked into that a little bit, introduced the sport to some of the, you know, players in the Northeast area, um, just kind of introducing it. It never really grew legs uh, at the time. It was so introductory, you know, conceptually, you know, and, and soccer wasn't the, the sport it is today internationally. Um, you know, it's such, it sits on the world stage at a, a much broader level. Um, but you skip ahead, you know, 16 years or so. Uh, in 2016, I think it was, you knew Saba became more involved or, Maybe maybe 2018 had their first development camp for blind soccer in the United States, and actually I was fortunate enough to participate in that uh, in Maryland. And then subsequently, they've had multiple um, development camps. And then, uh, unfortunately, there was obviously interruptions with COVID. But they started building out the game to you know uh, deaf and blind schools uh, around the country and trying to make it more of a um, involved in in various communities around the country. And so that's what's started to develop. And so uh, this last year, I was fortunate enough to be one of USABA's um, blind soccer ambassadors to help champion and cheerlead uh, the availability of the sport, the opportunities that the sport brings, and start building it at the grassroots level. So uh, 
that's obviously ongoing. There's been, you know, tremendous traction. There's um, teams and and that are developing around the the country. There's a group in Texas that's done a phenomenal job. Uh, once again, USABI is the governing body of blind soccer, so that's going to help facilitate some of that growth as well. They're working with, once again within the school community to bring that as an opportunity within the curriculum and conversation. And so it really is starting to grow. And uh, with it, you know, one of the things that kind of that top of the pyramid approach uh, is the, you know, 2028 Olympics and Paralympics will be held, you know, in LA. And as the host nation, you know, you're guaranteed a spot. So this creates an opportunity for, you know, blind soccer to, you know, get some prominence, but, you know, we got to build that team. And so right now, um, you know, the, the team was named in, I think, late, early November. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to being one of those participants that will hopefully, you know, continue to build a foundation and champion the sport so that we can continue to uh, build the, the strength and, and hopefully put a, a nice product out there for everyone to in the United States to, to build upon. And, you know, 2028 obviously is is a as a goal, but we will hopefully will be much more successful in, in the near term through um, through the, the, the growth of, of the sport. So yeah, it, it's it's going to be exciting. Um, where we have a competition in March you know, at camp, and I think we'll compete internationally for the first time. The United States will be playing Canada, I think March nineteenth and twentieth. So uh, that should be pretty exciting. And so to be part of that journey. Uh, for a sport that I've been so passionate about for, for so long uh, is super exciting. Absolutely. I know when I saw that game actually, you know, listed and on the schedule with Canada, just, wow, kind of get chills. Like this is really becoming a thing. You know, it's, it's not just, of course, it's still, you know, in development in general, kind of building the team, building the momentum, but to actually have that match coming up is, is super exciting to see. Yeah. And ironically, I, I leave that, you know, event come back and then i think that the next two days later i'll be playing canada and hockey so uh <laughs> it forces me to make sure I, I i stay competitive and can keep that fitness level up so this is those are great motivators to have for me personally absolutely no doubt uh, as far as skiing i definitely wanted to ask you about skiing i know you have done uh, some adaptive skiing as well right yeah i was, I was fortunate um Growing up, uh, and once again, we talked about a lot, a lot of outside activities. Skiing was one of them. My dad was a very accomplished skier and, you know, ski patrol type concept. And and so, you know, I learned how to ski early on. And, you know, as my vision waned, that became a little bit more challenging to do it independently. And then, you know, I'd work with friends where I'd have a collar in the front and, you know, a collar in the back. And so we could ski a little bit. And then as the vision dropped a little bit too far, you know, maybe my, I didn't want to put my friends in a situation or family members in a situation that, you know, it makes it less comfortable for them. And and so I, I kind of stopped for about, I don't know, maybe eight or 10 years. And then I went to the uh, uh, Breckenridge outdoor um, program that, uh, you know, I wanted to ski with my, my, my family while they're skiing to also be out the mountain. And I had the most wonderful guides that, just shepherded me down the mountain in such a fun, enjoyable way. And I remember this was, I think two or three years ago. And, and once again, I had these tears of joy uh, coming down my face and she's like, is everything okay? And I'm like, mm. 
I just didn't think I'd have the opportunity to do this again with this level of, of enjoyment and to come down to the bottom of my mountain, the mountain and, and have my kids there and, and, you know, and just like the normalcy it created, um, not to mention that the wind in your hair, if you will, it was just dynamic. I, I couldn't believe that that opportunity, you know, was lost and, you know, then it was found again. So I, I strongly encourage folks, if you, if you've like skied before or it's got a first time opportunity, you know, there are folks just in all those different volunteer and adaptive sports that will create an opportunity for you to really enjoy and participate in life. So what it, it was great. I look forward to doing it again. I've done it a couple of times and, you know, unfortunately we didn't get a lot of snow in the, the DC area this year. And uh, so, uh, but I, I do look to participate more in, in, in the future with uh, the adaptive scheme programs around the country. Absolutely. Yeah. That is definitely on my bucket list as well. Uh, you know, being a lifelong Floridian, obviously it's, it's always pretty much warm here year round. Uh, so I've only seen so snow one time uh, really in my life, but would love to, to get some, some ski experience and get out there on the slopes or cross country or whatever, yeah. whatever it may be. Well, I mean, you got adaptive water skiing. I know they've got that as well. I think you had one of your guests that did that as well. So, uh, true. Yeah. Oh yeah. I did have the chance to do that, which was super fun. So, you know, definitely different than, than snow skiing, but Hey, you know, it's, it's another, another cool opportunity for sure. Um, so I know you do have two sons you've mentioned, um, and I'm definitely curious uh, about just the opportunities to coach them and kind of what that has meant to you. And then also just kind of how they've viewed you, you know, as a, a dad with a disability, you know, who is, who is visually impaired, just talk to me about that relationship and then specifically the, the coaching kind of sports angle as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm blessed with two boys, uh, Jack and Henry, Jack's 19 and Henry uh, is 16 and you know, for them, you know, having a blind dad or visually impaired dad, that's, that's all they know. That's just their normalcy. Their, their, their only dad is a blind and visually impaired dad. So that's what they grew up with. And so for them, that's not, you know, that, that's like I said, that's, that's, that's their norm. And so for me as a, you know, a longtime athlete, highly competitive, uh, I love participating. I, nothing I thought would be more enjoyable than competing on the field, the pitch, the ice, the track, but I was wrong. It, it's actually coaching and, and sharing my passion for the game and sharing that knowledge and experience. Uh, both the, the successes and failures have been um, what I've actually, once again, as I talked about the, the special Olympic experience is I gained more and personally through coaching than I ever did playing. And once again, I was pretty successful and, um, and, you know, had opportunities to compete at the highest level in a couple of different sports. And none of that compares to sharing your passion, sharing your enjoyment, um, helping others reach their goals and then go beyond, uh, help building that trust and that partnership, creating that, um, you know, the, the recognition that, Sport is, you know, transcends life. It's, you know, that once again, that teamwork, the communication, the, the leadership, uh, shared experiences. And, and those community-based aspects are what drives me. And so I mean, having, you know, two boys who are very athletic um, and more importantly, excited about academics as well, um, that 
being able to share those activities with them and their peers, that has been phenomenal. Um, coaching kids playing, you know, I've coached and I've got my licenses for coaching soccer and uh, track and field. And then now hockey. Uh, and I also coached, uh, you know, basketball and football. So those experiences for me, like I, I you know, can't wait to do it. Uh, that's the part that gives me the most rush is seeing that light bulb go on or watching somebody, you know, exceed their own expectations. And so from a coaching perspective, for me, you know, obviously you got a visually impaired or blind coach, like how does that work? Um, and so it starts with that communication, that partnership, letting them know that I'm there for them and that, you know, we'll do this together. You know, if I can do this, just imagine what you can do. And so building that belief system and encouraging them, don't worry about failing. You know, if you don't try, you've already lost. And so right. building that belief that, you know, we're going to go out there and, and do the best. But then everything we did was always predicated on communication because I didn't get to see what was going on in the field unless they talked. So I would teach them the importance of communication and sport. Um, once again, you know, most people think it's what you do with the ball or the puck or, you know, what have you. It's what you're doing when you don't have it. It's how do you, um, when you're participating, you're helping shape the game by what you do off the ball. And so building the fact that you, you have to work kind of a, in the symphony working together, building that, that, that teamwork and that trust and that communication is what has been so um, effective for me as a coach because everyone's involved even when they don't have the ball or the puck or what have you. And so building that kind of like mindset, um, you know, I, I'm pretty tough coach in terms of what my expectations are. Like if you're coming here to, to practice, my expectation is that you're here to practice, to grow in the sport and things of that nature. Um, we'll have plenty of time to do those other, you know, goofing off things. But when you're on our field, or it's, it's this is what we're trying to do as a unit together. And once again, building that trust, creating that environment for success. So if you weren't talking on the field, you had an opportunity to sit next to me and tell me what was going on. So people would much rather play than sit and tell me what was going on. So I got folks that would communicate. So I could literally visually see the entire game happening before my eyes through my ears. And the kids in the community became, you know, that they were like, Oh, I'm lucky. I got the blind coach. <laughs> so I remember hearing that. And, uh, one of the, uh, you know, after the teams were named in those community sport activities and, and it was just really funny. And I just, you know, chuckled to myself. I'm like, you know what? He's right there. Pretty lucky. Um, and so right. uh, our teams were generally, um, pretty successful. We putting it mildly and, you know, my kids became pretty accomplished, uh, in the sports that they were interested in participating in. And, you know, the most important thing for me as, as a parent is, you know, despite the success my kids have had, I, I've always let it be on their terms. So I'm not saying, hey, you have to play soccer or you have to throw a javelin or you have to do this. It's whatever you want to do. I'm going to participate in your life in that way. Um, and it's been nice that some of those sports have intersected and some um, they've gone on their own path and, but they, what they brought with them is that shared passion and the interest and enjoyment 
And, and so it's pretty exciting to see them go off and, and find their own paths. Um, but still have that same mindset of how they were going to compete uh, and then building that trust and building that community um, and having a lot of fun doing it at the same time. So it's all got to be predicated on fun. No doubt. Very well said and, and very powerful stuff. And, you know, once again, it shows not only can someone with a disability participate in sports, but, you know, you can actually be out there coaching and being involved in so many different ways. I mean, there's so many things, so many opportunities. And uh, like you said, just kind of using other senses, using other uh, ways of interpreting things, what's going on. I mean, it's, you know, anything's, anything's doable. Oh yeah. I mean, I look back and I'm going to brag about my kids here. Um, Jack and Henry were both very accomplished javelin throwers and they were top 10 in the country junior olympics things of that nature um Mm -hmm. and you know obviously i was their coach and the way i would coach is i would let them know things like as it's coming off the the javelins coming i would hear it like all right you're pulling too much or you're not pulling enough you're it's flicking too much off your fingers you're not using the right grip and so i could hear it or I could hear the it wobble a certain way. I'm like, oh, that pulled to the right. It's like, how do you know that? Well, once again, that OCD activity of me just like practicing. What does this mean? What is that? What's that? That sound? How is it? Does it correlate? And building that environment so that I could coach through a totally different process than than others, and getting people to understand kind of that dynamic. And so I, we'd get more out of the, the athletes. We had so many kids that were highly successful um, because they built that trust. Right, right. And I'm sure there were cases or have been cases where kids might say, you know, how did you know that? Or how could you tell? Oh, correct. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's you know, eventually they stopped caring because uh, they just knew the result was going to be pretty positive. Uh, so that was one of the interesting things is they just like, <sighs> You know, you, you also couldn't screw off or uh, in the background because I would hear you. And so people <laughs> became pretty attentive because they, they um, if, if people were screwing off, it would be how long can you do a plank? Uh, and uh, I could do a pretty long time. So uh, folks really wanted to get back to practice. So uh, we stayed pretty focused. <laughs> Right, right, no doubt. But once again, I was blessed with a great community of, of folks who, um, families that trusted me uh, to to share my passion and um, help, once again, prove to them that there's so many things that are important in life, uh, regardless of the challenges or things that we face. Uh, we all have things that we have to deal with, but we all get there through working together and through a teamwork, through the communication. So that's kind of that mindset that, um, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be a part of in my community and, and, and as well as share that, uh, you know, belief. Sure. Sure. Uh, so to put a bow on this episode, just wanted to give you the chance to mention any final words, any final advice, you know, someone listened to this who maybe has not ever competed in sports or is not very active. Uh, what kind of advice would you tell that person about the benefits of getting up and getting moving? Well, you know, I would start with it. Don't be afraid to fail. Be, be afraid not to try. So get out there and, and engage in that process. And, you know, I'm sure like those folks, just like me, it all comes back to, I have a tremendous support structure. You know, my wife and kids and my parents and, and, and siblings have all been a strong supporter of, of me being out there and being active. So I'm sure there's folks in your community and in your relationships that, you know, they want to see you out there participating in life. So get up, do life, 
be engaged, be a part of it. Um, you know, it's sometimes I mean, you may feel a little bit nervous, but I hope like I did, there's going to be a lot of tears of joy in your future. So get out and be a part of life. Right. Very, very impactful words. Really appreciate that. Well, thanks, Greg. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your your, your podcast. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kevin, for your time. Uh, it's really been a joy just getting to chat with you here the last few days, getting to know you and having the time to talk on this podcast. Just, I'm, I'm just so impressed at all your achievements, you know, both on the field, off the field. Uh, so it's been an honor to have you on here on Ice Free Sports. I appreciate it. Be sure to follow the Eyes Free Sports podcast at facebook.com slash eyesfreesports and on Twitter at eyesfreesports.com.